Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Did you know there are 15 million single moms living and working in the United States? Marika Lindholm certainly knows. She was one of the 15 million, raising two children on her own after going through a divorce. That's the personal. The professional Marika has a doctorate in sociology and taught courses on diversity and equity and gender at Northwestern University for more than 15 years. Realizing that single mothers from all different backgrounds lacked much-needed resources, support, and connections prompted her to form Esme.com, which stands for Empowering Solo Moms Everywhere, an online community that operates 24-7. Then there's We Got This, Solo Moms Stories of Grit, Heart, and Humor, the collection which brings 75 solo moms together with grit, humor, and heart, includes essays by the author Annie Lamott and the comedian Amy Poehler. Marika has been a regular contributor to Psychology Today, Working Mother, Mind Body Green, and Talkspace. So let's meet and get to know Marika Lindholm. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Marika... I read that you were born in Stockholm and raised in New York. Why the transatlantic move? Well, my mom, who was modeling in Stockholm, got a call from Eileen Ford, who was Ford Modeling Agency. Yeah, no kidding. They took the move. They decided to move to New York, and she was hired as a model. And how old were you when this happened? I was three, and oh. <laughs> uh, it was quite a culture shock. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So apparently, yeah, apparently um, I did not speak for a year. Really? And, um, I think a, a lot of who I am came out of uh, having a model mother because she was not eating, and it was quite a scene, um, you know, very superficial. Lots of, We were dragged into a lot of modeling gigs, and um, so probably became an academic in reaction to that, that upbringing. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Were you an only child? No, my sister was born three years after. She was actually born in New York. And my parents had always thought that they'd move back to Sweden. And then um, my mom ended up actually falling in love with an American actor. So Hmm. she ended up staying and he went back to Sweden. Your dad did. (laughs) He did. And you and you and your sister stayed here. You know, we saw our father, but we were raised by my mom and my stepfather. So, in other words, is it fair to call you a native New Yorker? Yes, 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you're kind of intimidated and scared by being in, of all places, New York, which can be overwhelming regardless of how old someone is. Were you intimidated by your mother's beauty? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was quite a scene. You know, I'm... Um, now 57 years old. So, you know, this was the late 60s. And I remember specifically that we went to go see the musical Hair and we were dressed in our maxi dresses. And my mom was a stunning model. And um, and you recall Hair, there's a scene where there's people with no clothes on. That's right. I saw it. The lights on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, look, there's, you know, look, they put the spotlight on my mother. And my mom happened to also have a, um, Mustang convertible, and um, it was just, yeah, it was overwhelming to the senses. I just, uh, a lot of interesting memories that, but it was intimidating. You know, we would go to Sweden every summer where it seemed quieter and calmer, and um, I always felt like a little bit like, wow, this is pretty intense. (laughs) Oh, I bet. I was just thinking to myself, what is that like to be a part of a family where your mom is so revered because she's so beautiful? 
Well, one thing I have to say is that she was, I don't know if this is going way back, but she, the Kodak film used to have a Kodak girl in front of every store that sold, sold a film. And she was that girl with the red bathing suit. And so there was a life, like a life-size cutout <laughs> in front of all every shop. <laughs> so it's not a normal way to grow up. And then even later, you know, she was very young when, um, you know, I was born. So, you know, if I had young boys come to visit at the house or take me out on a date, they're like, their jaw would drop and be like, is that your mom? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, now she's a translator of Scandinavian drama and she's, um, you know, she's a true intellectual herself, but at the time, you know, she had to really focus on just, and she was before the supermodel, so it wasn't like she was raking in the money either, so it was very demanding on her as well. Oh, that's interesting that it was, uh, you know, she was really toiling at her trade, so to speak, and probably was on some level exploited. I have never been on a diet in my life because I watched the agency just, it was the air of Twiggy, and they wanted her to be thinner and thinner, and and a lot of the models eat baby food during the week. Oh, and then they had, um, on Saturday, she would let herself eat and Sunday she'd fast. I mean, it was just so a horrible way to be very unhealthy. And so I've just been really dedicated to being healthy and strong and not worrying about that too much. And for my daughters as well, I have three daughters and I'm like very intensely aware that body image and food is something that I don't want them to get too entangled mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Did she put all those pressures on you as well? Not, not at all. She is never, she was never putting that on us. And she's pretty low key natural. Like now she's like, Oh, I would never have any work done. Or, you know, she, I think it was just and for her, probably a very bizarre time too. You get pulled into something and you know, later she went into acting and like I said, translating. So she she never and we we got pulled in to do sometimes like a, a show or you know a couple commercials but it wasn't something that they were were pushing on us at all. How wonderful for her that she was able to reinvent herself. You know that there's life after the poses. You know, absolutely. So talk about Marika now. As you said, you kind of did a complete 180 to professionally to what was it was like for you growing up. And you had that bent when you were applying to college that you wanted to be sort of in the social sciences? You know, I did not know at that time what I wanted to do. And I would just tell everyone I was going to be a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's easy. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So I started out as an English major. And then um, my junior year, I took a sociology course. And it was my mind was blown. It was everything I had believed in. It was everything I was interested in. Um, I just, it was like, you know, when you find the thing that is you. That speaks so, to you, um, yeah. I just feel extraordinarily lucky because by the time I graduated, I knew I was going to go to grad school and I knew that this was something that, I mean, it, it addressed every passion. And, you know, my mom was also interested in civil rights and interested in, you know, she was anti-war protester. So even though she was a model, she was actually engaged in the political climate and so growing up in a Swedish household where we cared about books and ideas, um, it's just um, when I started to take sociology courses, I realized that, you know, I wanted to do things to make the world better. I wanted to understand how structures worked and, you know, different social groups. And so it was just a, a perfect fit. When you were in school back in that day, how much of a focus was there on gender disparity for you? There was 
a focus in terms of uh, an academic focus. You know, I took a lot of courses on gender and work, and then particularly in graduate school, of course, I spoke, I wrote my dissertation on Scandinavian politics and women and labor organizing. So I was really focused on gender and my own work. I think that we were not, you know, in terms of the Me Too movement and all the things that now we're talking about, we were not talking about that as much. I think we were talking about, you know, just equal pay and the political rights. And I remember the ERA was a big thing um, when I was in school trying to, you know, get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. But uh, I think now we are in a a different stage of feminism where it's really um, finally realizing all about speaking about and being open about some of the horrible things that women have to go through in terms of, you know, sexual assaults or, you know, bullying and uh, the other issues that come with the Me Too movement. Or the, the lack of equal pay. And I guess that must be a fascinating thing for you in terms of the contrast of, you know, how glacially things move in this country versus what what it was like in Sweden, for heaven's sake. It was the impetus for my work was I was trying to understand how Sweden had universal health care and they had daycare and, you know, every child was guaranteed and protected, their, you know, their health and their well-being. And so, yeah, it was a big contrast. And, you know, when I started teaching was in the early 90s and my in college you know the college students would be like oh they, there's no issues there's no problem you know there's oh they, they just didn't think that feminism was relevant mm. and it was so interesting because I knew that in five years once they were out there and then I also taught MBAs and many of the MBAs had been in the work world and of course they I taught a course called um, gender and management and of course they had so many stories of you know unequal pay blocked opportunities not you know being mentored and all the other issues that go along with, you know, being a woman in the work world. So, yeah, it continues to be uh, outrageously appalling, actually. And you think about particularly my group of women that I'm interested in for solo moms. I mean, uh, in terms of the unequal pay seems really, really pernicious and unfair if they're the only wage earner specifically. So, yeah, it just keeps going. It does get sometimes really tiring, but you got to just got to keep the faith. Yeah, keep on (laughs) keeping on. So... Yeah. Now talk to us about the fact that you give birth to Esme.com, and it comes from both a professional and personal perspective. And as I mentioned in the introduction, that you also went through a divorce and you became a solo mom. What was that like? And when was that? 19 years ago, I got divorced when my children were three and five. I knew it would be hard, but I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And so I was shocked because I had health benefits, I had a decent job, I had uh, good friends, and it just uh, was so much, much harder than I ever expected. And so at that time, I thought, wow, does every woman have this heart, especially if you don't have uh, economic um, resources and home and, you know, so... Um, I made a little vow that one day I would try to help that situation. Of course, it took, you know, 15 more years before I had the strength and energy and my kids were at an age where I could do it. And then that's when I founded um, Esme.com to empowering solo moms everywhere to create connection and support and resources for any mom raising kids on their own. Solo is not just divorced or widowed, but it's also perhaps your partner's deployed your partner might be incarcerated or, um, you know, living and working across the ocean. So 
it's a very broad term still when we try to help all all those moms and in lots of different ways. And it's been really amazing to see how they help each other, too. Well, I would also assume that that could include women who, by choice, are raising children on their own. Yeah, we have a pretty large community of solo moms by choice. And generally, they tend to be you know, older. They hit the biological clock and they say, you know what, um, I am... I want a child and I don't want to miss this opportunity. So they move forward with that. And, you know, one of the things I've noted over the years is that they are so afraid to say how hard it is because mm. they're doing it on their own. And, you know, they're afraid. And, and it is really hard raising kids, anyone knows, and then doing it yourself is hard. So we're really there to provide that support and resource for anyone. It doesn't matter how you got there or why you're there. But anyone parenting alone is going to find articles and other folks that they can connect with on the site. How long were you single? Three years. And were those really very, very challenging years for you? The first year was horrendous. I moved out and I had a small apartment and I had a two-bedroom apartment, fourth floor walk-up. And um, I ended up having to teach more classes to try to, you know, because while you're going through the divorce, you don't necessarily have the resources that you're going to ultimately. Later, we sold our condo and we split the money. But while everything was up in the air, you know, you're kind of stranded. And um, I ended up actually getting really sick and it was scary. And a lot of people took sides and some friends just, they felt like it was an awkwardness. You know, my identity shift was probably the hardest thing. Just people treated me differently. And then Mm -hmm. I started to get strong and connect women. And so I started actually once a month at a restaurant or different or at my home or wherever. And all the, I just connect other moms that were also single and solo. And so I think it really was the foundation for Esme later because I, I realized how important it was to have other people to hang out with and talk to and just, you know, have some fun in the middle of like spending so much energy caring for your kids. You know, I spent you, every solo mom I know is their kids come first and they spend so much energy on that that they forget about themselves. Maybe they sacrifice sleep or they take two jobs or whatever it is. But yeah, that was uh Really hard time. I got strong. I got better. And actually, by the time I met my spouse, I really had thought it was pretty great being solo. Uh (laughs) I was was Uh pretty happy with it. (laughs) But never having started something like this, like you did this this website, how did you think you were going to be empowering solo moms? Well, by the time I started the site, um, I was not teaching. I had remarried. We had added three children to the mix. And I had moved to a farm in New York. I was, had been at Northwestern. And so I started by doing focus groups. And I did focus groups in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York to try to find out what moms needed and wanted. And then I went, you know, relied on sort of what I had been through. And one thing I knew I wanted was that I, I think the evenings and the night times when you're alone and you're worried were the worst times. So I knew I wanted a chat room. You know, you could call it whatever you want. But I wanted a space where a mom could come on any time of night or day and other moms would be there to answer her question or just be there to encourage her. And then I knew I wanted information. So we had many, we have hundreds of articles about different topics. And then I also wanted resources for moms. So we have over 5,000 nonprofits listed so you can find them by state. Oh my God. And so basically, yeah, I mean, it's a huge site um, by, using the information from focus groups, using the information from my own life, and then using the information that I knew through sociology, I'd start to put together the site. And it's not just me. Obviously, we had like really great people 
working together mostly, I mean, really all solo moms. I mean, I was remarried at the time, but I think once you're a solo mom, your your heart is always a solo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The empathy is there. So yeah, it just started to grow in reaction to what people said, wrote to us. And, and we have 75 local Facebook groups. So you can go on and find people in your area. So like our Chicago group has over a thousand solo moms on it. And I see amazing things. I see moms always reaching a hand to some other mom. I just think they're the most generous people. I see moms who are clearly down and out themselves will go to great lengths to try to help another mom. I just feel like that story isn't told enough. And I feel like I have to say it. It's just, it's been really moving and remarkable to see that. Did it surprise you that this didn't exist until you made it exist? Oh, I was shocked. I actually hired two young college students because I live near Bard College. And I said, go investigate what other single mom sites there are. And what we found out was shocking that you can Google single at the time, you could Google single mom. And a lot of sites that came up were scams. They were like ways to get moms to buy something or do so. Uh, we kept looking and looking and we really didn't find, I was, I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is, it just seems like a demographic that's big enough and obviously worthy enough to have this attention. So a lot of people have said that like they, that Esme's made them feel so validated that they just, they'd love to be able to just go there and know that there's a whole community of other women going through it. And yet it seems so obvious, right? Yeah. Like, really yeah. what the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's sort of interesting, that what took so long. I'd like to move over to this collection of essays. What sparked that? So we got this, came out of the wonderful submissions that we got to Esme.com. We were giving out monetary awards for wonderful poems and essays because we have a showcase section that um, we wanted moms to know that we weren't just validating them for being moms, but for other things as well. So we invited writers to submit. And then when we saw all the talent, so many beautiful poems, so many beautiful essays, I thought, wow, we could start a collection. And then we wanted to make sure there was original content as well. So having been in this world of solo moms for a while, and my editors as well, we solicited all kinds of original content. And then the final piece, which was the hardest, was getting some of the well-known writers to be able to use their work. So like you mentioned, Amy Poehler and somebody of Mary Carr and all kinds of well-known writers next to up-and-coming writers. So that's pretty exciting. Was it difficult for some of the women to, quote, take their clothes off? Yeah, although there is a difference. I've noticed that, uh, and other people have noticed that, well, millennial writers are more likely to be very open about for example, domestic violence or abusive relationships, whereas, you know, some of us my age might be more, hold our you know, cards a little closer. Some people have written under pseudonym as well. I was pretty heartened by the fact that so many people were willing to share their painful, their happy, their joyful, all the different types of stories that we have. So um, it wasn't as hard as you might think. Mm. Uh, I'm, You know, I'm curious as to how do your daughters view what you're doing? Well, I have three daughters, and my oldest actually worked for Esme one summer, and she just loved doing the work. She was very much um, now, she teaches at an all-scholarship school for boys, and uh, they majored in sociology and English, and 
I think she's been inspired by, you know, she used to come to my class at Northwestern, hand out blue books, and then worked for Esme. And then my younger daughters, who are 14 and 16, I think they're really proud. Actually, my 16-year-old does a lot of my Instagram for me. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. She's really aware of the issues. Um, They're both adopted from Ethiopia. Oh, wow. um, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have a a family that is um, unique in some ways. And Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. I think that having watched me run Esme and start Esme is inspiring to them. You know, my oldest son is super proud. He went to an event recently and he was just like, Mom, it blew me away. It was amazing. And then my 15-year-old son is sort of like opening his eyes to things that possibly, I mean, I think for boys, it's almost more transformational for them to see a mom, you know, pushing, starting a business, doing this kind of thing. So yes, it's been good. I didn't mean to be dismissive of your sons, not at all. And I think that's wonderful that they get they get this from the ground up, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was very concrete what I did when I was at Northwestern. But this is, um, you know, we talk a lot about Esme and, and the book. And they've been through the ups and downs. It's been, you know, a lot of challenges, too. <laughs> and how does your mother factor into all of this? She must really be beaming with pride as to what you have accomplished. My mom is very proud of me. She uh, has been coming to the events, and she has big ideas of taking the stories, and she's like, oh, Marika, it should be a theater event. (laughs) (laughs) She loves it. And what do you see for you in your future? I have definitely have another book in me, you know, called We Got This Too, and I have another book that I want to, I want to write my own book. And I just want Esme to continue and be there as a support. But I do also have to take some time. I've been pushing really hard, and um, I'm trying. I'm so bad at it. My youngest is a freshman in high school, and um, I'm, you know, two sophomores in high school. And I want to make sure that I spend time with them and enjoy some of the you know, years before I'm an empty nester. But mm. I'm pretty hyper. I'm just, I can't imagine, like, not... I I mean, I'm writing all the time and always trying to do things. But, yeah, I want to make sure that I don't miss some of the important stuff with my kids. Your son's notwithstanding. I'm curious as to what the reaction has been from men. I think mixed. You know, one of the first questions is, why not solo dads? And the reality is that for men, it's very different when you're solo. Often people will be like, oh, my goodness, you made cupcakes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, of course you can leave work early, the poor man, you know, or and it talked about pay. The pay scale is different. So I really felt like I wanted to just focus on mom. So that's been one, sometimes the reaction. The other is, um, in terms of the book, I've been getting a great reaction from my male friends who've read it. They're like, these stories are amazing. You don't have to be a parent or a woman or mom or anything to enjoy them. So it's it's mixed. And, and of course, the biggest uh, supporters of Esme are children of solo moms. I met a man yesterday who's like, told me this whole story of being raised by his mom and just so proud and thought it was so great what I was doing. And so, yeah, we have a whole army of supporters of people who have been raised by great single moms. This must really warm the cockles of your heart, you know, especially when you didn't think that you were going to be doing all of this back in the day. It's very rewarding. It's also, it's a big, I feel a big responsibility. And that's one of the things I'm grappling with because every day I go on the website and I see stories of women who are trying to leave maybe a 
terrible relationship or they're trying to get food for their kids or they're having fights with their ex. And so, you know, I tend to be throw my heart into stuff. And so a lot of times, you know, you almost in my office, sometimes we have these gallows humor about stuff like, like almost like doctors getting tough because yeah, we want to solve their problems and help them. But if I took every single story to heart, you know, it would be crushing. Uh, so some days it's really, really hard, but most of the time I'm really proud. I love, especially now when people say that, you know, the book is giving them whole insight into solo moms and that some of the stereotypes they thought, you know, are being challenged. So I'm really happy to keep doing the work. I mean, it, 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 it does feel good. I'm glad that we're doing it and I'm glad that my team is there to support them. Well, needless to say, we're glad that you do what you do. I'd like to ask you as we wrap this up, Marika, so I said it, it's esme, E-S-M-E dot com. And is that where they can also get your book? Attached to Esme is also a website called wegotthisbook.com if you want to go directly to that. And we're all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And yeah, just esme.com, you'll find both the book and the website. Well, Marika Lindholm, thank you for doing what you do. The world is a better place because of women like you. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me share my passion. Continued success and keep doing what you're doing because the world needs Marika Lindholms. Thank you very much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.